I'm glad you're here this morning. Let's go ahead and get started. Twice a year, I walk out of the house without my sermon notes, and today was one of those days. And um, So I brought my computer up here. I'm going to be punching buttons as we go, but I'm glad you're here today, um, especially if you're visiting with us. Thanks for joining us. Um, Tanya, is my mic okay? Sounds really strange in my ear. All right. Well, I'm really glad you're here. I, we're starting the, the second, this is the second week of a series called um, Soul. And um, interesting that Rick picked the It Is Well With My Soul. We're going to talk about that a little bit. If that's a confusing song to you or if it sounds churchy or religious, um, hopefully you'll get a little better perspective on that this morning. Um, but I want to give you a chance to kind of get your heart right. Um, the, the Bible talks about your soul. We're going to talk about it today a little bit. But the Bible talks about your soul as being um, the most important part of you. And the problem is it's, the, uh, it's probably the least kept part of you um, by, for most people. And so we're going to talk about that today. If you've, if you've come in and you've uh, had a rough week or you've got a lot going on in your life, um, I'm going to give you a chance real quick to, uh, to take a deep breath and kind of get some perspective on your life. Every time I say that, it calms down a little bit. Yeah, it feels good. Um, just to get a quick deep breath, get some perspective on your life, and then we'll jump in this morning to our sermon. So if you would, just bow with me, and um, let's, uh, let's get some perspective this morning. God, in this place... We've all come with different things in our lives and in our hearts to understand better what you want from us, to understand better how our bodies work, how our minds work, how our lives work, and our souls work so that we can do life the way you intend for us to, with the hope and the peace and the joy that you planned from the beginning of time for us. God, we pray right now that you would calm our hearts. And start with mine. You would help us to understand what's important, that you would help us clear the things that are leading us away from you and pursue the things that are leading us directly to you. God, the pain in this room is thick, but your grace is heavier. Would you help us feel it tangibly today? We would just stagger away from here today with a, a new understanding of who you are. Pray your blessings over our time together. Pray you would clean me up, make me worthy of saying the things you once said today. In your son's name, amen. Well, as we talk about the soul um, in this, this few weeks here, I, uh, I, I mentioned the book that kind of inspired me to write this sermon series. Um, it's called um, Keeping the Soul. And um, it is written by John Ortberg. A few of you are, have already gone out and bought it. I got a lot of notes from you this week and a lot of, um, a lot of emails from you just kind of telling me how this is impacting your life. And the reason is because the deepest part of you, the most important part of you, it, the Bible refers to as your soul. And if you were here last week, um, you might know that, uh, that we talked a little bit about uh, an illustration, a story I told that kind of relates a little bit to uh, how the Bible talks about your soul. And it, the idea was, and you can go back and, and check last week's sermon on our website if you haven't heard it, but the concept is that, um, that just like a city that might have a, a stream running through it up in the mountains, 
the the soul is a, a, the stream of your life. Your soul is like this clean, clear stream of your life. And we talked, told a story last week about a man who maybe lived up in the mountains, whose job was it was to keep the, the stream clean for the whole city, and to, to clear out the debris, and to keep the dead fish from floating, and to, to kind of keep it clean and keep it up. And what we said last week was that the stream represents your soul, and you're the keeper. That you're the keeper of your soul. The Bible says that you only have one soul. You only get one soul. And that soul lives forever. And you are responsible for the condition of your soul. And now the, the soul changes and it, it, it grows. Um, it, has, it gets dense in it, <laughs> as many of you know. And it gets better and better and it changes at different times. I, I've noticed mine um, on Saturdays, my disposition and my soul starts to kind of clean up a little bit. Um, and I, I get to be more present. We're going to talk about that today a little bit. There's a difference between being busy and being hurried. <laughs> Most of us are busy, and some of us are hurried. And while the, the John Orberg's book says that being busy is a matter of your schedule and of the physical body, being hurried is a matter of your soul. And it can kill you. I mean, it can kill you physically. But worse than that, it can kill your relationships, it can kill your joy, it can kill your emotions. If you've come in here today and your soul is damaged, maybe this picture and this stream here um, will give you a deep breath today. That your job is to, to keep clear your soul. All the things, all the debris that may be floating, all the, all the guilt that you may have, all, all the, the frustrations, all of the depression some of you have, the, the anxiety, all of that has an impact on your soul. And what I want to talk about today, I, I want to kind of, if you weren't here last week, I want to lead you through a little bit about what the Bible says that you're made of. Um, check this out. I'll go through this quick. I, de I dealt with it in detail last week, but I, if you missed, I want you to catch up with us here. The Bible says basically there are four parts of you. There are the, there's the will, and the will is what makes you a person and, and not a thing. Um, it, it allows you to, to actually choose. Um, it's important, but it's also extremely limited. Then there's your mind, um, your thoughts and your feelings, um, your body, um, which we are not just the stuff that our bodies are made of. Um, we, there is deeper things than just our body because then the, the Bible talks about there being this part of you called the soul. And the soul is what integrates all of these things. It's what makes all of these things stay together. And if you just spend time on one thing or the other, you'll notice that, that if, you, if you don't pay attention to, to your soul, you still don't have what you think you're going to have. Now what I've noticed is if I dig into any of these four, it begins to impact my soul. And the way that's happening for me is, is with running. I'm, I'm starting to get my body where I think God wants it to be. I'm still eating way too many McDonald's things, and I'm still, it's still eating too much junk food at times, but I'm exercising. And when I get done running, when I get done exercising, some of you have had this experience, I feel something deep inside of me. It's not my mind. It's not my will. And it's even deeper than my body, because truthfully, when I'm done working out, yesterday I ran nine miles, and when I got done, my body would not walk another, like another step. I laid on the floor, flat, past, I mean, I was just out. But something, even though my body was messed up, my body was hurting, and I was, something in my soul got better. Something in my soul, the deep part of me. Now, soul sounds like a, a Christian word. It sounds like a churchy word. It sounds like a religious word. In fact, today, if you were singing that, it is well with my soul, and you're not a church person, you might have felt really disconnected. Because the truth is, we don't use the word soul very often unless we're talking about something that isn't necessarily tangible, that isn't touchable. We talk about soul food. 
Um, and it, it's that food that kind of makes you feel good deep, you know. Um, when I think of soul food, I think of, uh, you know, fried friedness, the things that make you happy, but the truth is probably not best for your soul. But the Bible talks about these four things, and all of them have held together by the soul. And in the long run, true peace in your life, which is what you're looking for, it's what you came here today looking for. True peace, real peace, not the peace that just kind of lasts for a little bit until the vacation's over, until the weekend's over, but true peace that permeates everything comes from a healthy soul. It flat comes from a healthy soul. When you have a healthy soul, it changes your perspective on everything. It allows you to have peace that the Bible calls, that says passes all understanding. It allows you to literally be able to say, no matter what goes on around you, it is well with my soul. Now, here's the thing about your soul. Where I want to go today. I mean, anybody seen the movie, What About Bob? This is an old movie. It's a really old movie now. Um, John Ortberg talks about this in his book, and it is one of my favorite movies um, of all time. If, if you're a kid, you haven't seen this movie, you need to go check it out. It is awesome. Bill Murray plays a, um, a, a, a patient who is dealing with a lot of mental issues, and Richard Dreyfuss plays his counselor. And there's this, a few scenes where Bill Murray is just, he's the most needy person that you can imagine. In fact, at the beginning of the movie, he just annoys you. He just, everything, he's a hypochondriac. Everything that happens, he thinks he's going to get it. You know people like this. He's just the most needy person all the time. He's needy. And it reminds me of, of your soul because the truth is your soul is really needy. It needs one thing in your life. The Bible says what your soul needs most is God, your creator. It's what your soul needs most. And if you start trying to to fill the needs of your soul with something other than God, it's going to be needy all the time. It's going to be annoying you all the time. And that annoying feeling, that needy feeling from your soul is what causes anxiety. It's what causes that stressful feeling. It's what causes lack of sleep in many of us. That feeling that your soul's just going, something's not right. You know, when I was a kid, the, the term was midlife crisis. Now they, they call it all different kinds of things. But midlife crisis was the term that people would use for a person who, you know, and I couldn't ever understand it when I was a kid because it happened to people that were in their 50s and 60s um, often, or 40s, 50s, and 60s. And that wasn't middle life to me because most people didn't li only live to be 60. That was like three-quarter life, you know. I never understood that when I was a kid. But there was this moment where some people just kind of have it. They just had it, and I've got to go buy a convertible because that will make me happy. And they realize it doesn't. Or I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to leave my wife and go marry this other person and go find this, because that'll maybe make me happy, but it never does. And it's this, uh, this thing in your soul, because here's the thing, your soul is needy. But the problem isn't its neediness. Your problem with your soul is not its neediness. It's that we try often to meet the needs of our soul with things that can never meet it. I was running with, uh, with my brother a few weeks ago, and... Um, Man, just cannot believe the way our relationship has gotten better and better and better as we've gotten older. We've both gone through some awful things, and we both have kind of stood by each other through it, and we're running together, and we're growing physically and getting better in that way. And as we began to talk, we began to talk about this very thing. How many times in our lives we're running, and it's, it's raining, it was just... If, if you like to run, there's a perfect thing when, the, when it's raining, but it's not lightning, and it's hot outside, so the rain just starts to feel good, and my hair is just like down in my face, I look like a big sheep dog, you know, and he and I are kind of yelling and talking over the rain, and it was just this, it was a moment I'll never forget, and we began to talk about all the things that we've tried to fill our lives with, that we've tried to heal our soul with, 
And it's amazing how many of those things there are. And the older you get, the more you realize it's not the money, it's not anything else. It's, it's that connection with God that brings you that peace. And if you're missing that today, I'm hoping you walk away with, from here with a new perspective. Now here's, here's some of the things that we try to do with God. And maybe some of these, these statements resonate with you today. Um, I used to write sermons and used to say, I don't speak directly to people, but I, I wrote these with some of you in mind today with myself in mind, and you need to know that. So if afterwards you feel like I might have been speaking to you, I actually might be today. These are some statements that show you may be trying to meet the needs of your soul with something other than God. Many of you feel this way all the time. I know I do. I think about money a lot. I fantasize about coming into a big sum of money, winning the lottery or getting a big inheritance. It often ruins my joy and causes me to lose perspective on my life. Is this one of those things for you? Do you, do you secretly believe, and I've felt this way before in my life, that r- real happiness actually is money? That money can actually buy me happiness? Now, I've often even said this. You know, money can't buy happiness, but, man, I'd like to try. You know, I'd like to, if I could just, if I could just get a whole lot of money, I'd like to prove that it can't buy happiness, you know? And the truth is, some of us pursue this. We, we're obsessed with, the, with money, either the lack of it, or trying to get it. And we fill that need with God. Here's another one. I spend most of my life thinking about work. My kids and my spouse know that they are second priority. I think about this on Saturdays sometimes when I've got a sermon to write. Often my sermon's not written on Saturday yet. And I've got a sermon to write, and it's been busy all week, and I come home exhausted all week, and Reese says to me, and we call it Dadder Day at my house. Saturday is Dadder Day. And it's good for me to remember because I'll get up in the morning and think of all the things I got to do. I got to mow the lawn. I got to clean the garage. I got a house that I'm trying to sell. And I got electrical problems I got to fix. And I got all these things. And I wake up and I wake up with this little guy in my face that all week long I've been telling I don't have time. Daddy's got to work. I got to mow the yard. I got to do this. I got to do this. This is the one day. We call it Dadder Day. And he reminds me it's Dadder Day. His face is right in my face. We're going to play soccer today. We're going to go outside. We're going to play something. And the truth is, what I tell my kids, what I say to my kids, I might call it Dadder Day, and I might say they're the most important thing when I go to bed at night. Uh, the last thing I say to them is usually something like, I love you more than cheeseburgers, or I love you more than cookies, or I love you more. And I make up all these new things to let them know they are the most important thing in my life. But the truth is, none of that matters at all. None of that matters at all if I don't prove to them that they're more important than my bills, than my work. Here's another one. I have secrets that I will lie to protect. (laughs) This, these secrets, become guardians of your soul. They become this broken part of your soul that you guard and you protect. I don't know what secrets you might have. How about this one? My doctor and my family have asked me to stop fill in the blank, smoking, drinking. Have asked me to stop eating the way I eat. But I haven't. I've chosen not to. I love God, but this one thing always seems to get in the way of my relationship with Him. These are some statements that show that you might be trying to meet the needs of your soul with something other than God. The Bible calls that thing your idol. And maybe you've heard the word idol um, before and you've thought of a gold statue. Or the, the truth is what God detests, one of the things God detests most is when we choose something over Him. And the Bible calls it an idol. And the soul, here's the thing about it, the soul cannot give up its idol 
by just using willpower. We've tried this. You know this if you're a smoker. You know this if you've been addicted to pornography. You know this if you've got that little crush on somebody, but you're married, or you've got that little weird relationship. You know that willpower alone, just going, I'm going to stop this, isn't enough. Isn't enough for you to give up your idol. Listen to this sentence, and this may be the reason you're here today, so wake up for a second. I cannot replace an idol in my life that I've put before God by simply turning away from it. I have to turn toward something else. This is human nature. This is the way God intended for your life to be. You cannot just turn away from an idol. You cannot just turn away from an obsession with money. You cannot just turn away from depression and self-absorption and that anxiety. You can't just turn away from it. The way God designed you and your soul is that you have to turn toward Him. He's a genius. Now, here, here, I was thinking about this last night. I love my kids so desperately, and the older they get, the more I love them and the more I understand them. Um, and, and I was thinking last night, if I were God is a scary way to start a sentence but if i understand god in this way if i were god and i could create my kids the exactly how i wanted them from scratch i would create them with the ability to choose me instead of you know just telling them what they had to do all the time i would create them with that ability and i would also create them with this inborn thing that wants me more than anything else that's what i would do if i could create my kids any way i wanted to i would want them to to never be quite right unless they were with me. I would want them to always be wanting something that ends with me. And this is what, the way God made you. Because he loves you so desperately. If you're here today, you don't believe in God, you know what, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, this is still true of you. Whether you believe in God or not, this is how he built you. Whether you feel like God is far from you or not, this is how God built you. So that, that weird feeling that you have that something's not right, but no matter how much money you get, no matter how much time off you get, no matter how much this or that or that you get, it's just not quite right. The reason is because in you was born a longing in your soul for the one who loved you and created you. And you cannot replace an idol by simply turning away from it. You have to turn towards something else. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, Luke chapter 19, verse 5. It's about a man named Zacchaeus. And I, because I grew up in church, I cannot say the word Zacchaeus without following it with, he was a wee little man. Have you ever heard that song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He was a wee little man. He was a little tiny guy. But the, the thing about Zacchaeus is not that he was small. In fact, the Bible just barely mentions it, but that's what we talk about with our kids. The truth is that, that Zacchaeus, the, most, the biggest, most important thing about Zacchaeus when we meet him in the Bible is that this dude is obsessed with money. He is absolutely obsessed with money, and it has run his life and ruined his soul. It has moved his soul in a position where he can't see anything else. He can't see right or wrong. He has no moral bearing at all. Everything is about money. He's a tax collector and a very rich dude. And when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, a whole bunch of people were around. And I just absolutely love this story because I think it so relates to our lives today. There's a whole bunch of people around Jesus. I mean, they're following him in droves like this, just crowds of people around Jesus. And Zacchaeus, little tiny guy, sees this big crowd of people, like an entourage around Jesus. And he says, I want to see, I want to get a picture of this guy. I think that that feeling in Zacchaeus is, I got to see this because I know there's something in me that's missing. And maybe he's the answer. Maybe he has what I know in me is missing. So he climbs up in this tree, because he can't see over everybody, climbs up in this tree, and Jesus senses that this broken man is there. He senses that he's there, and he looks up and he says, 
some really neat things. When Jesus reached the spot where the tree was that Zacchaeus was, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, would this freak you out if you're Zacchaeus? You don't know this guy. He doesn't know you. And you're standing up in a tree. You're thinking you're above everything and you can't see, you know, nobody can see you. You think you've got the perfect hiding place. And in the midst of this entourage with all this stuff, he looks up and goes, hey, little dude. <laughs> Zacchaeus, right? Man, I'd have fell out of the tree. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now, here's what preachers would have said to Zacchaeus. Come down. You need the blood of Jesus. Come down. I want to preach to you. Come down. I got got something you need. Come down. I want to preach to you. I I want to tell you something. But here's what Jesus says. Look what he says. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to stay at your house today. Man, this made people who were following Jesus, this made Jewish leaders so mad. There's nothing that makes a religious person matter than when God or Jesus has grace for those who don't believe what they believe. Jesus looks at this big crowd of people who are following him and he picks out the guy who's not following him and says, I'm going to your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. And when he said all the people, it was all the religious people. So if you begin to mutter, you're a part of this crowd, okay? Here's what happens. They begin to mutter. All the people saw this. And they said, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. Actually, this, that language is very, very tame. The, the thought is he's gone to be the, the guest of a liar, a cheater, a drunk. He's gone to hang out with people that don't believe what he believes. And this is something Jesus made a habit of, by the way. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And I have cheat- if I've cheated anybody out of everything, and the crowd goes, Oh, yeah, you have. I will pay back four times the amount. So, if you get the picture of this guy who is obsessed with money, just one day waking up and saying, You know what, money isn't the big deal anymore. I'm just going to turn from that. It doesn't work. Whatever that obsession is for you, you can't just wake up one morning and via willpower alone just turn away from it. You have to turn towards something else. It took turning towards Jesus for Zacchaeus to make a change. And when he did, money became nothing to the point where he's paying back four times what he took. And Jesus said to him, this is awesome. And the, the original language is even more powerful than the English. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house salvation has come to this house now when we think of salvation we think of heaven and hell but that's not what jesus meant the truth is heaven and hell it was at stake here and the fact that that zacchaeus came to jesus got him heaven and we know that but what jesus meant by salvation was not just heaven and hell it was this man was so wrapped up in something other than me that he couldn't see straight His soul was so broken that he couldn't live the way he was intended to live. He had a lack of peace, a lack of joy, a lack of hope. He couldn't ever be in the present. Today, because he ran towards me and made a change in his life, today, salvation came to his house. Not salvation for some time long off in the future, but salvation for right now. You need it. You want to be a good mama? Want to be a good dad? 
Want to be a good husband? Want to be a good wife? You love your kids. You desperately love your family, your kids, your grandkids. You work on bringing salvation to their house by not just turning away from bad habits, not just turning away from idols, but turning toward the only one that their soul really desires and longs for. So today, I have, just like I always do, some real practical things I want to talk through. As Jesus talked with this big crowds, Matthew records this incredible piece of scripture where Jesus begins to talk to this group of people. And he says, come to me all you who are weary. Maybe you feel weary. It's not a word we use much, but you know what it means. And burdened. The idea of burdened at that point, it's the same thing that you think of probably. Burdened often in our, in our language means like there's something wrong with you, like you, you have something that you're you're internalizing but the the original language here literally means that you're carrying something jesus when 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 jesus said burdened somebody would have pictured a big backpack you know uh, the the military would have carried a backpack at this point and they carry these big backpacks and they're heavy and they're they're just hard to walk with when when jesus mentioned the word burden that's that's what people thought of and i saw it in you today i mean it, it literally sometimes is a looks like a physical weight on some of you Sometimes it's just bags under your eyes, I can see it. You haven't slept. You, 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 you've got a burden, you've got this thing you've been carrying. Some of you high school, junior high students, your parents don't get it, your teachers don't get it, there's something inside of you that you can't articulate, that you're looking for and there is a burden on you. There's this heavy thing you're carrying. Jesus says, come all of you who feel like you're just carrying something heavy. And he says this, I will give you rest. Now, through all the Bible, one of the things that's very clear is that life is hard. In fact, it's one of the worst lessons you have to learn, that life is just hard. And the Bible doesn't make any bones about it. In fact, if you have a preacher, and there's a lot of preachers, especially really popular ones that are doing this right now, if you are listening to a preacher who is trying to tell you that if you come to Jesus, life gets easy, you need to go listen to another preacher because it's just not true. And it's all over the internet, and they're big-time preachers, and we, we, may, we pay big preachers like that lots of money because that's exactly what we want to hear. But the problem is it's not true, and the Bible never says it. But here's one of the things, the Bible goes on and on and on about how hard life is, but at this point, Jesus says, one of the only times in the Bible you hear the word easy, and here's what he says, take my yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light i want to talk about that today as we finish up this quick conversation about souls i want to talk about rest for your soul because some of you desperately need it i saw when you came in here and what jesus says what the bible explains about our life is that most of us are trying to make our lives easier have you ever felt like this that most of your life is about trying to make it easier I want, a, I want an easier job. I want, I want more money per hour because that's easier, right? I make more money, I can work less hours. That's the idea. It never really actually pans out that way. But we, we buy zero-turn radius mowers because they're easier and they make our life easier. We can mow faster and we can get around things because who wants to have to put it in reverse every now and then while you're sitting on your mower, you know? That, that's what we do. Everything in our life is about easier. We want more. We want bigger. But here's the thing, and this is a big thing. For you today aim at having an easy life if your goal is to have an easy life things will get hard for your soul 
If your number one goal in life is for your life to be easier, if I could just win the lottery, I wouldn't have to work anymore. If I could just get a big inheritance, I could do whatever I wanted, could sleep in till noon. If that's your goal, you need to know your soul is going to get broken if what you're pursuing is easier life. But check this out. This is huge. You need to hear this. Aim at having an easy soul. Aim at having a soul that is right and calm. You know people like this. We used to call them hippies. Used to call, but you know people like this that just, you're around them and their soul is just easy. They're, something about them makes things better. Aim at having an easy soul and your capacity for tackling the hard things in life gets bigger. You get better. Now here's what I want you to make sure you don't hear me say today. I'm not saying you get your soul right and all your problems get, go away because it's absolutely not true. You get your soul right and the problems that you come up with in your life become easier to deal with. You become, you, you get more tools. When, when I was dealing with anxiety so bad, I went to my counselor and I, she said, what, why are you here, John? She knows I'm a preacher and, and she's a friend of the family. What, what are you doing here, John? And I said, well, here's the thing, what it all boils down to, and I never said it until that moment, and it was a perfect sentence for me, it's exactly the way I felt. I said, I see that all the people around me have anxiety. I don't have any more anxiety or stress than the other people that are in my life. But I am missing something that they have. They have some sort of a tool that I don't have. It's like they have a hammer to beat in the nails and the stress in their life, and I'm trying to beat them in with the back of the screwdriver. You've tried that. It doesn't work. I've got the wrong tools. So I came to you today to, for you to t give me the tools. What do I need? What is it that I'm missing? And I remember feeling that. And she said something to me, and it actually was bad for her finances because I, I didn't go back to her. She said, you don't need me. I can't give you those tools. You have those tools. The problem is, the tool maker, the one who does give you those tools, has created within you a soul, and your soul is broken. And if your soul is not right, every problem that comes into your life, it's like you're beating it with the back of a screwdriver. It's not the right tool. You don't have things right. So if you're here today, and you're broken, and you've got so much stress and so many problems in your life, and maybe you're looking around going, I... People deal with things differently than I do. I need you to know that today it's, it's not that you need necessarily something. And we need counseling sometimes, and sometimes we need medication and all those things. But sometimes it's just a matter of taking care of your soul. The soul fatigue is one of the problems. It's one of the things that makes it so hard. And some of you, I see it, I know it, we've talked about this. Here's some, some ways that, uh, that maybe you... You need to know that your soul's fatigued if you're feeling some of these things. And there's a whole bunch more, but these are some because you know how I like practical things. I want, I want you to put your teeth into this stuff. If you're feeling some of these things, it could be that your soul's fatigued. Little things seem to bother you more than they should. Little things. And in the moment, you know this. In the moment. Even in that moment, you know it. Uh, this will happen to me when, when, when uh, I get up in the morning and the kids' toys are on the stairs. And it's a little bit dark and I'll step on one. It makes me mad, and it really didn't hurt that bad, but I will, my whole face gets mad, and I get this red feeling and just this anger, and like, yeah, this is a kid. They leave their toys places. It's human nature. But I say something, or I get so mad. There's a trigger for my anger that is much deeper than the little Lego I just stepped on. It's a broken soul, and maybe, maybe you've got that. 
My soul needs rest. It's, it's hard to make up your mind about it, even simple decisions. I've seen this a lot, where, where you've got these simple decisions, but you're so stressed. And here's the reason. You believe that, you're, that you, when you make a decision, it's going to be based on your happiness. That's what's going to create happiness in you is your decisions. And so you can't make a decision because you're just so stressed in your soul. And here's a big one. Man, this is true of me sometimes. When my soul gets disrupted, when I get, when I get a restless soul, the impulses to eat, drink, or spend become worse than usual. I don't know what it is in me. Actually, I'm starting to learn what it is in me. But when the finances are the worst, it's the time I want to go to Target the most. When, when I'm feeling the most down and the most depressed, it's the time I want a hostess cupcake more than anything else in my life. <laughs> What is that? Well, what it is is that your soul is broken and you're desperately looking for rest. And there, let's just be honest about it, just for a minute. When I eat that cupcake, my soul rests for just a moment. Just a second. When, when I do, when my finances are bad and I go to Target and I buy that thing that I can't afford, and I know I can't afford it, but I buy it, for just a moment, my soul rests. But here's the problem find yourself even more exhausted in the soul just moments after it's how god designed you to let you know that it isn't the cupcake that brings you peace that it isn't target it isn't shopping it isn't the drink it isn't the beer it isn't the cigarette none of that stuff brings you real peace and that moment that small little moment isn't worth the consequence here's another one you do things that give you a little bit of pleasure now for a major cost later. You find yourself quickly making judgments of other people. Man, I, this, I see this in my friends all the time, especially on Facebook. Holy cow. In fact, if you're, if you're judging people on Facebook, especially celebrities who you've never met, you're making comments about people that you don't even know. You know what it says? It doesn't say anything about the celebrity. It says something about you. When I read these Facebook posts, I think not, boy, are they funny, or boy, are they clever, or boy, are they smart. I think, boy, is their soul broken. Boy, do they need rest. And this is, if you find yourself in this situation today, if you find yourself walking through the store, and you see the tabloids, and you're your heart jumps a little bit when you see that finally that girl who's been so pretty for so, year, so many years has now had a bad issue with some kind of a implant or something and you kind of go, your heart jumps and you kind of, you got this judgmental moment and you're just almost happy that they're a mess. You need to know maybe your soul needs a rest. And the last one is, is about courage. If you find yourself in a place where you're constantly looking for the easy thing and, and you've lost courage in your life, a sign that your soul needs rest so jesus totally understood this in his life and i believe this is one of the reasons god sent jesus jesus christ here it's not just so that he could save our lives for eternity not so he could just put his arms out on a cross but so he could live the way that we live as a physical human being and understand how desperate your soul is for rest so today i put a list of this stuff together of things that jesus did in his life to get soul rest. So write this stuff down. It'll be on the website later. But write this stuff down because this is stuff that Jesus did that gave his soul rest. And if you engage in these things on a regular basis, you'll begin to see your soul rest as well. One, he prayed all the time. 
Not, a, not those prayers that we pray, the now I lay me down to sleep, or thank you Jesus for this food, but these everyday, all the time prayers. He did life with a circle of close friends. He, he constantly leaned on these friends. It brings rest to the soul. He engaged in regular worship. He went to the synagogue, to the church all the time. He, you know how, you're, how this can be restful for your soul when you walk out of here. He fed his mind with scripture. If you need help with that, if you have a hard time reading the Bible or if it's frustrating to you, come see me. There's so many tools now that Jesus didn't have at his disposal that the people before us didn't have. He enjoyed God's creation. This is The older I get, the more this is one of the things that causes my soul rest. Going out and just sitting in the woods and staring at something. Going out, especially if there's water. If there happens to be water, I can just go into a coma. And as I walk away from that, this last vacation that we have with the family, it was a week long. I slept on the floor a couple nights. I, I got up at 5 o'clock every morning and I fished until dark and I was so tired. And when I left vacation, I thought, man, i got to go home and rest. And I needed physical sleep, but my soul was at rest. And mostly because of the outdoors and being where God is. One of the things Jesus did constantly was welcome children. This is a really practical little thing. There are kids all around you. And I know, man, I know this in men. I know a lot of men who do this. Eh, kids drive me nuts and I don't want to. And they usually do this. Close their arms and they have this unpeace in their life because of this. Kids, there's something God brought to us with kids. It, it go, man, you don't have to look very far in this place. Probably in your pew right now. There is a little package that God gave you to help your soul rest. And this is one you may not have, maybe not even realized. But Jesus spent time with people who didn't believe what he believed. This is so hard for Christians. This is where I'm going to start getting emails from you. I know some of you who have been in the church for a long time are going to start quoting scripture that never meant to be quoted when it comes to this. But the truth is, Jesus Christ spent his life as much with people who didn't believe what he believed as he did with those who did. Not for just the purpose of evangelism, but because it hurts your soul. If you constantly, always, if every person you ever come around with agrees with you spiritually and politically and in every way, if every person you're around, if you choose that you're going to only surround yourself with smart people who believe the way you believe, then you need to know it will damage your soul. Jesus constantly found himself in places where people didn't believe what he believed. And you need to know today, if, and I've seen this, this is one of the most damaging things for, for older Christians. They continue, if they don't believe what I believe, I've got no use for them. If that person, if my neighbor doesn't believe what I believe, the only reason I go over there is to evangelize. You need to know that Jesus spent a lot of time with sinners. He spent a lot of time with those who didn't believe and didn't know. And sometimes he was evangelistic. And sometimes he led them to himself and to God. And other times he was just with humans who happened to think differently. There's a whole bunch more. But you need to know today that what God wants for you most, more than anything else in your life, is a healthy soul. Band, you guys can come up. You know, this is what I want for my kids. In fact, I've got to the point now where I, I still, it breaks my heart if my kids are mad at me. But the older I get as a parent, the more intent I am on making sure that they're healthy, physically, emotionally, spiritually, than anything else. So I'll make them mad if I have to. I'll make a decision based on, on the health of their soul over than on them being happy with me. 
true peace is, is a healthy soul. I'm going to ask you today, what idol in your life is causing your soul to be unhealthy? What do you have today? What do you have that you, have, you are putting all your trust and all your hope in that will make you peace, will give you the peace that you're looking for? I'm going to give you a chance to turn toward Jesus today and claim that salvation in your life. And I don't mean salvation in terms of going to heaven and hell. I mean that salvation as to right now, the peace that passes all understanding is available for you. And it starts with a healthy soul. I got that list of things. There's another list. There's all kinds of things that, that will help your soul rest. I'm going to give you an opportunity today to commit to that. To rest your soul. Now sometimes that just flat means a nap. A physical nap which I will be telling Richard later on today, hey, i got to practice what I preach, you know? <laughs> and sometimes it means a vacation. But more often than not, what it means is you getting perspective on what's most important in your life. And it's not your job. It's not even your church. It's the stream. It's the stream that God created you when you were born. Now, your mom and dad played a big role in you being born but they couldn't create your soul God did that and when he did he put deep within your soul a desperation for him if you find yourself today desperate for anything else you need to know it will only get worse unless today you choose God now you can do that in a lot of different ways practically for what it, what it looks like for me is this image that uh, is an illustration I gave you a few years ago and it's something I use all the time in my life I was on an airplane one time and and the mother of a kid next to me who was screaming crying on this airplane which always I end up sitting next to him I don't know how that happened sitting next to this kid and the mom brings out this toy that she's been lugging around in a bag and it's a it's a steering wheel and it sits right on the the tray that comes down and so the tray comes down and she puts the steering wheel for this kid and for two straight hours he looked out the window and steered the plane and she would talk to him now turn left here oh watch out for the bird 